If you would, turn in the word of the Lord with me to the book of 1 Peter. As you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 2, we've been asking ourselves the question for a little while. Uh, The Lord has had us in this particular mode. How do we live devoted to the one true God? I said we're serious about it. But how do we live devoted to the one true living God, Jesus Christ, in a society that demands that we give equal respect to all different kinds of gods, all different kinds of viewpoints? Uh, how, how How do we stay faithful to the truth of God's word and to the values and principles of God's word? First Peter tells us a lot about how to do that. First Peter is a letter that's for us today. And I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, the point at which we're in in this letter, uh, it, it's, it's a section of the letter that it would be easier to sidestep and, and move past without preaching or teaching or addressing it in any kind of setting like this. Last week, there was that verse that it's very easy to shout about. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. God's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and that is the truth. But Peter, the apostle, the one who stood on the day of Pentecost, who knew something about following Jesus, writes on in the letter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. I like to imagine that as we read this, we have an audience, a personal audience with the apostle Peter. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? If the Apostle Peter walked through the front door and sat down here in the sanctuary with us, and we started to ask Simon Peter, we started to ask him, Peter, look at the state of the world around us. How do we live in a world where we face trials like we face, where we face issues with our health, we face issues in the world around us, we face challenges and temptations? How do we live in a world like the world that we live in right now? And he addresses that starting in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, which means every human system. And then in a minute, he's going to give us some examples of human systems. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? For the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants or slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, it is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Everybody say, follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live 
for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Continuing into chapter 3, the apostle Peter continues to write, and he says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, that they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When, you, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you, everybody say all of you. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted. Be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You may be seated. Looming large in this passage, and you've seen it repeated as we read it together this morning, are the concepts of submission and authority. And it would be easy to announce that the theme of today's message is submission or authority. But submission is not the foundation of our way of life. Even though submission is important and submission is a command of God for us if we're going to live successfully in the world today, if we're going to endure the trials that life brings our way, there's going to be an element of submission that must be present in our life. But submission is not the foundation of our life. The example of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our life. That's why the Apostle Paul calls our attention and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 53 and he calls our attention to the idea, the figure of the suffering servant. And he says, when you face things in life that you don't have answers for, when you have to submit to things that maybe it's not fair, you need to go not just to a concept of submission, but you need to go back to the person of Jesus Christ. He left us the ultimate example of how to live life successfully today in a challenging and confusing world. So this morning, I want to minister, follow his steps. Follow his steps. If we will follow in the steps of Jesus, then the confusing parts of life that come your way, when you aren't sure how to react or respond, you'll receive wisdom and it'll help your witness. I said you'll receive wisdom for those situations and if you will follow the wisdom of God, it will help your witness. It'll help your witness. What if I told you 
today that a passage like we just read together and a message like I hope to preach to you this morning, what if I told you today that it holds the key to seeing a prodigal child come back? A prodigal child coming back into the church or an unbelieving spouse coming to faith? What if I told you that some of the principles that the Apostle Peter sets down in the Word of God in our hearing in this letter hold the key to a revival in your family because they don't care how much doctrine you know, but they care about your character and they're going to see how you respond in the face of trials. It'll help you be a better witness. What could happen today? What could happen today if just one person today said, I'm going to make a decision in the middle of my trial, right in the middle of what God has me in the middle of, what God is doing in my life that I don't have an answer for, and there's pain, and there's struggling, and there's suffering in the middle of it all. I'm going to make a decision right in the middle of that that I'm going to follow His steps. I'm going to take the example of Jesus and I'm going to apply it to my life and let the power of God get released into my circumstance. Christians are expected, we're called to live exceptional lives. Lives that are different than people that are out in the world that are just living according to every desire. Christians are called to a higher standard. The word of God says we aren't supposed to react or respond the same way that we would if we were living on our own. But since we belong to Jesus and since we are following in his steps, there's a way that we respond that's a little different than the way that the world would respond. Now understand me this morning. We don't seek out suffering or trials. We don't go looking for trouble. But when we encounter trials and we encounter pain and suffering, the word of God gives us a pattern to follow. Pattern to follow. And throughout history, some of the greatest revivals that have ever come about in the history of the world have come when unbelievers see the church enduring trials and following in the steps of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13 The Apostle Peter clarifies and he says he is writing to the church in Babylon. He is writing to those who are living in a world that doesn't behave the way that he's describing here. They behave in all different kinds of ways and they're driven by their desires and urges and their own greed and their own pride. And there's a whole different set of standards. He says, but if we are going to be people of God in a world such that we're living in even right now in 2023, he says that there is a way that when we encounter trials and tribulations, we have to live a certain way. And if we do, it'll be one of the greatest witnesses that we could ever have in our life. Jesus says, my kingdom's not like this world. It shouldn't surprise us that if we belong to a kingdom that's not of this world, that when we face trials and tribulations and obstacles and pain and suffering, that we ought to react and respond differently than we would otherwise. That's why the ultimate pattern is the example of Jesus Christ. In the eyes of the carnal person, a message like this doesn't make much sense. Because this morning I'm preaching a spiritual thing. And it will only be received by the spiritual person. We must follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. It is not just the best way, but it is the only way. 
At pretty much the exact center of the letter of 1 Peter stands the passage that we read together this morning. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. The beating heart of this letter, the message that Simon Peter would leave to the church today, that man who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, who, who stood on the day of Pentecost and preached the new birth experience and said, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit or else you will not enter. the. That same man that preached that message wrote this letter to the church, living in times like we're living in today. And at the very center, at the heart of his message that he wanted in the Holy Ghost to convey to his generation, he wrote these words. And he told us what it means to live faithfully in a world that doesn't share your values. And he pointed us to the image in Isaiah chapter 53 of the suffering servant, a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Simon Peter tells us, the Lord tells us, that we have a freedom, but it is a freedom to do what is right. He says, don't let your be freedom your freedom be as just a cover-up for doing the wrong thing and doing whatever you want. He says, but as people who are free, that's what it means to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. When you're born again and God does a spiritual new thing in your life, there is a new freedom that comes upon you. And you're no longer bound to sin anymore. And the things that had you in bondage, you're not in bondage to those things anymore. You're free! From those things? Does anybody know what it's like to be free from sin? Does anybody know what it's like to have the name of Jesus called over you in baptism and for the shackles and chains of bondages to fall off of your life and to say, I don't have to live like I used to live? I don't talk the way that I used to talk anymore. I don't run with the same crowd and do the same things that I used to do anymore because I've been set free. The Apostle Peter says, I'm so happy that you've been set free, but don't let your freedom be a cover-up for just continuing to do whatever you want. He says, your freedom exists so that you can do the right thing. There's a speech that we give. I was a youth pastor for a while, and I know the speech still carries on because sometimes I get to be in the room when the speech is delivered. But whenever the young people go out on a trip, there's a speech. Anybody know the speech I'm talking about? You probably give it to your kids before they go out. We give them the speech. Listen, when you get wherever it is you're going, you need to remember you're representing your parents, you're representing the church, you're representing everybody else, but most importantly, you're representing the Lord. Anybody know the speech? It's quiet. I ain't giving this. That's just an example. Don't get tight. That was, I'm just telling you what I'm talking about. Some of y'all had flashbacks right then. Adults, that, that's a speech we give to youth and young people. But it's, the same, it's, in, it's in the same kind of tone that the Apostle Peter is writing to us. He's saying, listen, you're going out into the world. You don't have to be of the world, but you do have to be in the world. Okay? 
And he says, you're going to go out in the world, and you need to know that when you're going to face some of the same kinds of trials that they face. But when you do, you need to remember who it is that you're representing. You're rep- That's why he says in verse 13, he says, do all of this. Why? For the sake of the Lord. For the sake of the Lord. Not so that you can gain status. Not so that you can be elevated in the eyes of other people and be this person of of great influence and, and all of these things. Not even so that you can achieve some measure of worldly success. He says, you do it for the sake of the Lord so that Jesus might be glorified. When you endure trial and suffering and you do it well and you do it the way the Bible says even in you you don't have to sweep it under the rug but you do it the way the Bible instructs us to then people start to see Jesus in you that's why the apostle Paul wrote and said that we are living letters read by everybody You've heard it said before another way. Sometimes the only Jesus that anybody ever sees, they might see him in you. The only Bible somebody may ever read is you and your life. And your freedom as a born-again person is the freedom to do what is right. Let me give you an example from our ultimate example. Jesus is on Calvary. He's nailed to that cross, and he he was doing the right thing. He was facing the trial of all trials, the suffering of all suffering, taking the sin of the world in his body and becoming the sacrifice for sin for you and me. And the word of God tells us that in that moment, he could have called down a legion of angels to help him escape from the cross. But he knew that the suffering that he was bearing was for the good of the world. And that is the example that we are called to follow. Look at what Apostle Peter writes when he weaves in some of those themes from Isaiah chapter 53. He gives us five phrases in in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 2. He says, Jesus had done no violence, nor was deceit found in his mouth. This is the example. This is what it means to follow in his step. Jesus had done nothing to deserve. Sometimes sometimes we have things happen to us, and you do nothing to deserve it. Sometimes you have an affliction. Sometimes you have a trial. Sometimes you have trouble, and you do nothing to directly deserve it. It says when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. He didn't take up the weapons of his enemies and start hurling insults back at them. He says, when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to God who judges righteously. What that means is that when we do suffer trials, and when we do live in this world that's broken, that we don't seek revenge. We instead say, this is in the hands of God. That's the example. And I know that it's a spiritual thing, and it it takes spiritual understanding. And here's, here's what I know. If you don't love Jesus, you're not going to love this message. In order to love the message that I'm preaching today, you have to love Jesus. You have to love him. Or else it's going to sound like an exercise in, in just complete nonsense. Because it is so far removed from the way that we've been trained up to live in this world. But when we look to the word of God and we hear the voice of an apostle writing to us from all those years ago. Writing in the middle of an environment that was hostile. 
that didn't like the Christian message, that didn't like the gospel, that hated Jesus, that was, that was very torn apart in all different kinds of directions, we can see it and we can say, this is the way that I'm going to live. God doesn't exempt us from trials. But God can work in the middle of our trials. And sometimes our trials come at the hands of those who are in authority. And that's what the Apostle Peter spends a lot of the time in this section of his letter talking about. He talks about different dimensions of, of authority. Did you know that all authority comes from God? There is a singular source. This is a good topic. There is a singular source of authority in the universe. There is no authority except God's authority. All authority flows from him. All of it. 100% of it. The problem is that sometimes when authority gets into the hands of human beings, it gets abused and it gets misused. But all authority comes from God. That's why, as a blanket statement, when you come into contact with authority, you need to respect authority. Because it's not the authority of that individual who's exercising it. It's the authority of God. That's what makes this, a, it's, it's a difficult message. Because the Apostle Peter writes, and he gives us different dimensions where authority shows up. He says authority shows up in government, and authority shows up in the workplace. He talks about slaves and masters. And then, and then he said authority shows up in the home, in our marriages, in the everyday things of life. He says there's different dimensions that authority shows up in. He says be submissive to every human system if we're going to follow in his steps. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. He said, this is the will of God, that we should not behave like the world as though we belonged to the world, but that we should behave differently and conduct ourselves in a different manner. If, if we're going to put it in a modern phrase, the Apostle Peter is saying we have to choose our battles. And he says, just because we don't agree with what the government's doing, we get to choose our battles. Doesn't mean that we can't try to be a force for good. But understand, not everywhere in the world do they have systems of government like we do. Not everywhere in the world do they have systems of government where we can do what we're doing right now. God's going to win no matter what. God doesn't need a certain political party in office for his will to be done. He's going to win anyways. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be, try to be a force for the right things and a, for, and a force for good things. But God, is just, God doesn't need a political party. God is just looking for one person who will say, I'm going to follow in his steps. He's, say, he's, he's looking for one individual who will say, you know what, I'm going to follow the pattern and the example of Jesus. Because Simon Peter knew what we sometimes forget, that in the pattern and example of Jesus is all the power that we ever need. Learning this lesson didn't come overnight for Peter, because this is the same guy that when the government tried to come and arrest Jesus, what did Simon Peter do? He busted out the sword, right? 
I mean, we're reading a letter from a guy who learned this lesson the hard way. He wasn't always this way because he, his, his past interactions with the government <laughs> involved cutting people's ears off. And I don't think he was aiming for his ear. Now, decades later, as an older man, Simon Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and he says, you know what? I've put the sword away. I've got a different sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He says, I've, done, I've decided that I'm going to do things differently. I saw the example of Jesus in the garden that night, and I recognized that my way was inferior to his way, that his way was the better way. And that if I was going to be victorious, if I was going to be a part of his kingdom, I was going to have to do things his way. And so I've laid down the sword, and I've taken up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the harsh. For it's commendable if by, it's because of conscience towards God, if one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it? If when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, it is commendable before God. The apostle Peter writes and tells us we're going to encounter authority in the workplace, in the marketplace, everywhere that we go, not just in the halls of government, but also in the marketplace and on our jobs. And he says that when you're treated unfairly and when you're denied the promotion and you're passed over and, and you're, you find yourself on the outside Looking in, he says, instead of having a fit, he says, be yielding, be gentle, be kind. Not seeking out suffering or trials, but when we encounter it, we know that there is meaning and hope. There is a right way. And that Jesus walked that same way in every sphere of life. I need to say something about the beginning of chapter 3 that we read together. About our home and our marriage. Because it has a great deal to say about the wisdom that we need for living in the world today and the witness that it can provide if we'll follow in the steps of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 1 starts with that word likewise, which means that everything he's about to say at the beginning of chapter 3 is directly tied to the same concepts he's talked about at the end of chapter 2. And Peter continues to emphasize the role of behavior and conduct in the church and how it's connected to having a favorable witness. I've said that word witness a few times, and I want to pause for a second and, and, and just explain what I mean when I say witness. When I say witness, I mean in the sense that when Jesus released his disciples at the beginning of Acts, and he says, you're going to be witnesses to me, to the whole world. What that means is there's going to have to be people that are willing to share the good news, that are willing to share the message of Jesus Christ, whether in word or in deed. And that's what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to be witnesses of what Jesus has done, saying, before I knew God, my life was this way. But now that I know Jesus and God has done a work in my life, my life has changed and now I live this other way. That's what it means to be a witness. And being a witness is all about souls. It's not about just keeping up the, the looks and keeping up the way of life, but it is about souls. If we believe that there is a real heaven and a real hell, then the idea of being a witness is very, very important to us. 
I don't want anybody to go to that place of eternal torment. There is a real heaven. And there is a real hell. And the world needs real witnesses who will call people away from that path that leads to destruction. Jesus says that narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many in the world today who are on a broad road leading them to destruction, to a place of eternal torment, and they desperately need to come into contact with somebody who is following in the steps of Jesus, who will call them away from that dangerous road that's leading to a devil's hell, and will say, come, follow me, there's a better way. It might not be the easy way, but it's the right way. It's the better way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death, but there's a way that is right, and God has ordained it, and if you'll be born again of the water and of the Spirit, let me be a witness to you of what God can do in a life. I was once bound by this, but God delivered me. A witness to you right now. I'm going to be a witness because I have followed in his steps. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together but I'm following in his steps and God's doing a living work in me he's brought dead things back to life in me in my family he's brought prodigals back home he's helped me with my unbelieving spouse he's brought my finances into alignment he's brought my health where it needs to be and he's doing works in my life and he's with me every step of the way that's what it means to be a witness and the world desperately needs witnesses. They need witnesses in the halls of government. They need witnesses on the workplace. And they need witnesses in the home. And the apostle Peter said, likewise ye wives. And he starts to talk about the interactions between husbands and wives. And he starts to talk about the reality that in one household there may be one spouse who's living for God and another spouse who hasn't seen the light and God needs to do a work in their life. They're not living for God yet. And it's a reality that we face even today. And the Apostle Peter is giving us clear direction about how to be a witness in a setting like that. And he says, even if your unbelieving spouse doesn't believe, doesn't obey the word, without a word, they may be won by the conduct of their wives. It might be that your character is what wins them over. You've heard it said before, people don't know how, care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when the convictions of what you so deeply care about start to manifest themselves, not in the easy times, but in the challenging times, in the middle of a trial, in the middle of suffering, when God starts to do something in your life in an unexpected way, and you can endure it, and you can live the Bible way, what a testimony that is. What a witness that can be to an unbelieving family member when you, they see God's doing something in your life, even in the middle of that mess, even in the middle of that pain and suffering. That's how much they love God. He says, don't let your adornment be merely outward. And he starts to talk about how we don't need, especially wives, how they, they ought not to adorn themselves in expensive things. In order to visibly gain attention. And he talks about how there's displays of luxury. And it can be uh, the word I like. It's ostentatious. That's a funny word. But everyone knows what it means. 
ostentatious. It's just, it's, it's out there. It's flamboyant. It's, it's visible. It's saying, I need all the attention. The apostle Peter says, no, that's not the best witness. That's not the way that Jesus did it. Jesus didn't walk around in purple robes of royalty. He didn't walk around and try to gain visible attention for himself. But he let his character do the talking. And he says, likewise, you wives, let your beauty be the inner person of the heart. Your character, what you care about, what your convictions are. The mo- and this is true for everybody. Hear what I'm fixing to say. The most attractive part of who you are ought to be your character. Your spirit. Because there are people, why, Brother Dustin? Because souls are at stake. Souls are at stake. Don't settle for some kind of superficial, surface-level nonsense when souls are at stake. The Apostle Peter says, let your beauty, let what is attractive about you as a person. He's not just talking to the ladies there. He's talking to all of us. He says, let there be something that radiates out of your character, out of what God has done in your life. And let that be the witness of what God can do. Because hear me, people that are hurting, people that are confused, people that are lost, they don't give a single care about your wardrobe. And how fancy you look. Or how, or how expensive your attire is. Or how well put together. They don't care a single bit about that. But if you come into contact with somebody who is hurting and suffering and confused. And are in the middle of a trial. And they don't have Jesus to lean on yet. They want something that's real. That's coming from the inside of you. Something that is radiating out of you. That only God can do. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen to those words the Apostle Peter says to the men. He says, men, those of you that have wives, honor them. Live with them with understanding. And let there be a sense of togetherness. In the way that you live life together. And here's what he said at the very end of chapter 7. You may have noticed it when we read it the first time. It may have stood out to you. It always stands out to me. He says that your prayers may not be hindered. Now men, I don't know the mechanics of how it works. But all I know is that God's word says it and I believe it. And what it says is that your interactions with your wife. And the way that you treat your wife has a direct impact on the effectiveness of your prayer life. Again, I, I, don't ha- I don't have a chart. I can't show you how it works, but I do know this. If you don't treat your wife right, your prayer life's going to be in the pits. Your prayer life's going to be non-existent and weak and feeble. And no man under the sound of my voice wants to be described as weak and feeble. This is the stuff of life. This is where we're living at right now. I I told you before I started this morning, it'd be easier to sidestep a passage like this and to move on to something that preaches a little harder or, or, or gets us on our feet a little better. But this is where life happens. And if we believe about souls, what we say we believe about souls, and if we believe about heaven and hell and eternity, what we say we believe about it, These are passages of scripture 
and wisdom from, this is apostolic wisdom for us today. We can't skip over it. We have to follow the pattern of Jesus in every dimension of our life. Because listen, the world says when you, things aren't going your way, retaliate. Get even. Get your revenge. When things ain't going the right way, the world says, I'll just separate and, and, and get a divorce and move on to the next person. The world says all of those different things, but the word of God says differently. It says to follow in the steps of Jesus. Follow in the steps of Jesus, if the musicians would come. I appreciate Simon Peter writing as one who knew what he was talking about. Because we see a changed person writing this letter. For three and a half years, Simon Peter followed Jesus. He followed in his steps. And then after those initial three and a half years, Simon Peter took his place as one of the leaders in the church. He stood on the day of Pentecost, Brother Anderson, and he preached the gospel. And he preached the new birth experience. And he preached how to have a changed life. And how God can step in and do something completely new in their life. No matter what their path was, no matter what their past looked like, God could step in and do something new and powerful in their life. And then Simon Peter lived a life where he sacrificed and consecrated and lived that way. And he lived out some of the words that we're reading about in this letter. And the word of God says that Simon Peter followed the pattern and the example of Jesus till the very end. Because tradition tells us that Simon Peter was executed on a cross, just like his master. It was an upside-down X cross. And in the face of trials and afflictions, even some of the ones that Simon Peter himself faced, I have this hope that I see what God's Word says that our trials and our challenges can accomplish for the kingdom. I'm not in it for me. I don't have to be comfortable Things don't have to be perfect. Life doesn't have to be a bed of roses because I'm in it for the kingdom. I'm in it for what God can use me and do through me. There's this young couple. Maybe you've heard of them. They were a missionary couple probably about 60 years ago. Their names were Jim and Elizabeth. Jim and Elizabeth were young They'd just been married a short time, and they knew that God was calling them to be missionaries in South America. There were unreached people groups, people that were in these remote areas that had never had the chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'd never had the chance to follow in Jesus' steps or even know what any of that was about. Jim and Elizabeth said, we're going to go to that place. We're going to go to that place. They landed in South America and they started to do work among those people and they were learning the language and the customs and they were learning how to communicate with these people. And within the first year, the story goes, those people became angry and they killed Jim, her husband. They killed him, this small village of people. They murdered him and he paid the ultimate price. The story goes that Elizabeth buried her husband and stayed. And she continued the work, and throughout the course of years, she had success there as a missionary in that area of that country. And the story goes that eventually, Elizabeth baptized the members of that village. 
that had killed her husband. Can you imagine living a story like that? I told you that story to tell you what she said about the whole matter. She said, suffering is never for nothing. Suffering is never for nothing. God is always working in the background. God is always directing. Every, that's why when Jesus was at Calvary, he could have called down a legion of angels to rescue him from that awful death. But the word of God says that he endured the humiliation and the pain of the cross and he gave it up over into the hands of God who does all things well. Can we stand all across this room right now? I know maybe you feel like this has been a little bit different this morning. But I want to go back to what I said earlier, and I want to say it in faith again. It could be that a message like this this morning could hold the key, could unlock the gospel for somebody's unbelieving husband or unbelieving wife. You've got a family member that doesn't know God. You have a child that's far away from God, that's prodigal, that needs to come back to God. And it could be that your response to a message like this and saying, God, whatever you need to do, God, you can do it through me. It could be that that kind of response unlocks the key to the miraculous, to what you see as an impossibility. God might be able to make it a possibility if we'll respond in faith. Can we lift up our hands all over this room right now? And maybe, maybe what I just said has struck a chord with you right now. And you say, you know what? I do have a loved one that I'm not sure how God's going to do a work in their life. But I'm going to make a move and respond in faith today and see if I can pick up some wisdom from the Word of God so that my witness can be better to them. These altars are open right now. Would somebody make a move towards God right now and step out of where they are and say, in faith, I believe that God's bringing my child home, that God's going to do a work in the life of my unbelieving husband or wife, that God's going to do a work in a family member that doesn't seem like I have an open door, but maybe, just maybe, through the situation that I'm facing, through the trial that I'm in the middle of, God could be working it out. God could be doing it. God might do something that I don't see a way how God can do it. But in the middle of that affliction, in the middle of the pain, God is going to work a miracle. God is going to do something that only he can do if I'll just follow in his steps. Somebody, why don't you put one foot in front of the other right now and say, I'm going to follow in his steps. I'm going to follow in his steps. Come on, there's nothing more powerful than you can, that you can do right now than to make a declaration and say, I'm going to let it flow over into every area of my life. I'm going to let it flow into my marriage. I'm going to let it flow into my home, into my work, into my interactions in public. God, the things I do in public, the things I do in private, God, I submit it. I submit it to you. Lord, submission is the call of the hour. Lord, in a world that's broken and gone all different kinds of sideways and that's very, very confused, Lord, I'm going to submit myself to your ways, God. Your ways look different than their ways. Your ways look different than the way that I would do it. But Lord, in your way, there is life. In your way, there is hope for my loved ones. In your way, there could be revival in my family.